0: Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Gross of Newsday. You can find me on Twitter at agrossnewsday. And you can find uh, everything I write about the Islanders on our Newsday website, newsday.com slash sports. There's a whole uh, page devoted to the Islanders and you can find all the archives there including all the back episodes of uh, uh, the Island Ice podcast. So welcome, thank you for tuning in. And yes, as I said, episode 10, it goes so quickly. It seems like just yesterday uh, we were trying to figure out how to get this uh, enterprise off the ground. And uh, let, let me just start with a real quick personal story uh, i'll get in and out real quick uh when my my older daughter was turning 10 years old she was she had a mini panic attack and she came to me a little bit upset and she said dad 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 i don't like my 10th birthday and i was like why not sweetie everyone likes turning 10 and she said yeah i know but when i turn 10 that means i'm going to be double digits for the rest of my life <laughs> so uh my mom uh, her grandma wound up sending her a birthday card with an X on it with the explanation that she could say stay single digits for one more year. So uh, I am calling this episode X in honor of my daughter there. Um, I'll worry about double digits next week uh, for episode 11. But uh, yeah, it's, it's another on-the-road show. Uh, and I'm telling you, I'm feeling a lot more like Stewie or Brian than Bob Hope or Bing Crosby. Uh, With all the the travel lately, I think last week I recorded uh, either in Anaheim or L.A., I I forget. Today I'm sitting in uh, Montreal. Uh, I just arrived in this beautiful Canadian city, and if you have not gotten a chance to travel up here, See a game at the Bell Center. Treat yourself. It's one of the great things in the NHL. But uh, arrived here early this morning, Tuesday. The Islanders play the Canadians tonight to wrap up a two-game uh, road trip, uh, which opened Monday night in Detroit with a four-one win over, uh, I guess, what you would call that the hapless Red Wings at, at this point. So, uh, but like I said, I mean, this we we knew this was coming up. It's just all about the travel right now. I know they go back on Thursday uh play Vegas uh but then it's right back out on the road and last week leading up into uh uh Thanksgiving, you know, a really tough California swing and California swings are always tough on East Coast t- teams just because of everything uh discuss this time change you know those California teams, although not so much now. Always historically been big physical teams, and uh, you know a lot of times you would wind up playing three games in four nights, which the Islanders did not do. Still, they go o two and one in California. A little surprising to me how discombobulated their their game looked in in the last two games, uh, particularly a three nothing loss to Anaheim which was the middle game in the trip. Um, it, it, the guys said they just weren't hungry. There was no effort, uh, not a 60-minute uh, game. They didn't compete enough. All things that you almost never hear out of the Islanders' players or, or Coach Barry Trotz's mouth. And, uh, you know, the, the trip opens with the 2-1 win at San Jose. Uh, they, they, they played well enough there. Couldn't score, which has been an issue at times. Um, you lose it in overtime, you know, stuff happens three on three. That, that, that one did not alarm me. The three, nothing loss to Anaheim was alarming. The the team thought they played much better in a four, one loss at LA to close the trip. Frankly, I wasn't so sure. I, I I didn't, I, I still thought they were fumbling with the puck too much and, and just not generating enough. And uh yeah the effort was better they still looked to step slow um the the players and, and coach Barry Trotz thought otherwise after the game you know so i can i guess we can agree to disagree there but one effect of the trip was that Barry Trotz did decide to change his lines he, he said they had quote unquote dried up um and, and when a coach says lines have dried up you know he's he's looking for new combinations although he's He's not done a radical blender here. Um, Eberly did skate on the third line. Jordan Eberle, uh, I'm sorry, skated on the third line against the Red Wings. Still got a, a plenty of power play time, and he winds up getting his first two goals of the season. Uh, if you remember, he missed a significant chunk because of an angle, a- ankle injury. Um, when he came back, he was getting chances, but uh, something was just off. Yeah, you know, he was missing uh, backhanders right in the low slot. You know, open nets. He, he just couldn't convert, and you know, he freely admits, and it's easy to admit after you score two goals that um, you know he was starting to grip the stick and, and really starting to get frustrated. And uh, you know, uh, Anders Lee, who uh, you know usually Jordan Eberle's line mate, said the biggest takeaway from. The 4-1 win at Detroit was Jordan Eberle scoring twice and, uh, you know, kind of getting that release, which which was the same release Anders Lee got scoring a goal in a 2-1, 2-0 win over the Blue Jackets Saturday at uh, Barclays Center uh, after he had gone 11 games without a goal. And You see it when these guys score, you see it in the celebration, you know, what kind of release they get. And, uh, you know... Uh, Lee follows up now he's got a two game goal streak he scores again at Detroit Um, we'll see if Jordan Eberle you know all goal scorers tend to be streaky Uh, so you know Barry Trotz and Anders Lee was saying you know once the dam breaks the confidence just flows back into you Um, and I think that you saw that in Anders Lee's game for sure at Detroit, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking you'll see that in Jordan Eberle's game here tonight in Montreal, and we can discuss the uh, after-effects uh, in episode 11 next week. But, uh, you know, a, again, as I said, Barry did switch up the lines a little bit after saying they dried up. Uh, Josh Bailey was playing with Matthew Barzell and Lee uh, at Detroit, uh, Against the Blue Jackets, uh, it was Eberle with Bovillier and Nelson. Uh, Bailey's played two games on that Barzell line, uh, and, and that those guys looked great. Uh, the, the three of them looked really, really in tune against uh, the Red Wings. Uh, Barzell with an assist, Bailey with two assists, Lee with the goal, as I said. So, you know... Uh, that, that that top line is producing a, as a top line you would want a top line to produce. And then, uh, you know, the the identity line of Sezekis, Martin, and uh, Clutterbuck is, is still together. And then, as we've discussed in weeks past, and, you know, we'll get to in the Q&A later on in the show, still trying to figure out that that third line. It's still trying to figure out who to put in the middle, Otto Koivula, only got four minutes in change. Took a bad tripping penalty against the Red Wings. Not sure how much longer he remains in the lineup. Uh, you got Komarov on a wing, Eberle on a wing. And uh, yeah, sure, Jordan scored a couple of goals. But, uh, you know, if Jordan's going to get going, you probably want him on a line where he's really going to generate a lot of scoring chances. I'm not sure that happens with Leo and Otto there. So, uh, still a lot of questions as to how Barry is going to get, uh, you know, his line combinations figured out. But uh, here's uh, Barry Trotz's explanation for what happens when the lines do dry up. And looking a little bit ahead to the schedule uh with regards to that
1: i think they uh, sort of go all together there'll be an, a line that'll you know play better than uh, some of the others i just think that it just it, it, it's the it's sort of the, the the rhythms of of a nhl season you know you're not gonna you know not too many times you'll see one line uh, it was maybe you know one week they're wrecking the league and you know two weeks later they can't find a goal that's normal in the league um uh, it's such a hard league. There's not much room for for error, and you know on this trip, I, you know we we didn't uh, ge- uh, generate enough offense, um, and defensively we actually I, I thought for the most part we we did a pretty decent job. We didn't give up a lot, but they just found the back of the net one way or the other. So um, that's just you, you sort of bite your lip and and move on. No, it's it's the you never want to lose or anything, but it's sort of the uh, like I say, the biorhythms of a NHL season. So if you're winning, you like it. If you're not going really well, you're like, I need some practice time to, to correct it. But, you know, it, the schedule is what it is. I, I think from my standpoint, um, I have to probably have a little more of a four-line mentality right through. Um, you know, I, I've gone probably three and a half for the most part. Part of that's due with the, the movement of brass over to the wing. Um, I think we've got to just go with a four-line mentality and stick with it and, and enjoy that process for a while. So uh, just because you, you can't overextend your top guys night in and night out, I just think it's it's really hard. So can we tell the Islanders are back to where
0: they should be after a 2 nothing win over the Blue Jackets in Brooklyn and a 4-1 win at Detroit? I mean, the Red Wings were missing a good portion of their lineup uh, DeKaiser was out, Mantha was out, Jimmy Howard was out, uh, missing a couple of others. Uh, I know they had five players on uh, injured reserve there, so, uh, you know, a depleted team for sure. Uh, yeah, Justin Ab- Abdelkader wa- was out, and uh, Trevor Daly was out, so, you know, that's a big chunk of... a. Uh, the Red Wings veterans missing there. Um, that was their eighth straight loss in regulation, 10th straight loss overall. Uh, so what can you glean from, from that kind of win? Um, again, the positives, you got Lee scoring in a, two straight games after going 11 without a goal. And you, know, you, want, you want the captain cleaning up around the crease as he's doing. Um, Jordan Everly, as mentioned, had his first two goals of the season, and Barry Trotz was really, really pleased that they came, I mean, just a few feet off of the uh, the right post, both of them, and and Barry has said several times he's talked to Jordan to to get his game going. Jordan needs to be down in between the circles, below the dots, right around the crease, And, and Barry was very happy to see That's where Jordan was playing uh, against Detroit. A couple of downsides, though, where maybe you take a 4-1 win at Detroit with a little grain of salt. uh, Penalties. Uh, uh, The Red Wings go one for six on the power play. And and honestly, you know, if you're playing a, a better, deeper team than the Red Wings, maybe... You know, giving giving up six power plays would have really made that a a different final score than what you got, the 4-1 score. Now, was it just the uh, Tim Peel, uh, the referee kind of known for calling a lot of uh, penalties? Was it the Tim Peel effect? I'm not sure. I mean, you know, some of those penalties, uh, I don't know, borderline, uh, but, you know, there, there, there was nothing egregious to me is, oh my God, they shouldn't have called that, you know, or or how could they have called that? Um, To be honest, the Islanders probably committed as many infractions against the Blue Jackets on Saturday, and and they really just didn't have any of them called. Uh, And and by the way, the one penalty called in that game by refs Kelly Sutherland and Chris Rooney was an interference call late in third period on Josh Bailey. And I, I thought it was really odd that that Stood as the the only penalty in that game. I mean, to me, it, it was an interference call on Bailey. Bailey did nothing more than just kind of stand there, you know, right around the blue line and sort of get run over by Seth Jones, uh, the defenseman for the Blue Jackets, and Bailey heads to the penalty box. Obviously, 2 nothing win. It did not really affect the final score, so I'm not going to linger on it too long, but I, I did find it... Interesting that 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 was the lone call it just sometimes there's a lot of inconsistency in this league in what is what is not a penalty, and the players have to react on a game by game basis and to be to be honest, probably as much of a scouting portion of each game, you know they, they obviously go over what teams do on the penalty on the power play, they have meetings before the game, scouting the referees, you know, and there's a website. Uh, on uh, for that a uh, good one scouting the refs I believe um but scouting the referees for teams is, is sort of become a, a full-time uh, occupation just because it is different from game to game like I, I'm sure the Islanders went into that game in Detroit knowing Tim Peel was you know going to be liberal blowing that whistle um and they needed to be better as a result they needed to you know stay away from those situations where you know, Tim could call a penalty here. And, you know, you get, what is it, two holding penalties? I uh, know, two hooking penalties, a high stick, a hold, and a trip. So that's one, two, you know, four stick penalties right there. And, you know, you got to know better than that. You know, Devontae's with a puck over the glass for a delay. You know, sometimes those happen. You know, you, you don't want them to happen. And, uh, you know uh nick letty i guess the the most questionable one was the uh uh the letty uh, holding call there uh against Dylan larkin that that led to larkin's power play goal um, but you know what larkin was heading full head of steam to the crease and uh he did go down to the ice and letty was a little bit behind so regardless of whether letty did or did not actually hold Larkin there. He was in a position where that penalty is going to get called nine and a half times out of 10. So I I really didn't have a huge issue there. I I thought that was going to be the outcome of that. Um, The other issue, um, as we saw Saturday, when Thomas Grice pulled himself at 14:06 of the first period, he had made nine saves. The Islanders were leading the Blue Jackets one nothing, and all of a sudden, Grice comes skating over to the bench, and you know, TV cameras caught Barry Trott sort of doing a double take after uh, you know, Grice <laughs> said to him, basically, you know, he, he was having trouble focusing. He was a little dizzy. He was feeling off and ill. And uh, Barry said, "Okay." And you know, afterwards, Barry said Bryce thought of the team first and, and pulled himself. Bryce said that was the first time in his career he's ever pulled himself from a game. He hopes, he really, really hopes it never happens again. Um, but he just thought in that moment he was going to be a detriment to the team because he just wasn't focusing on the puck well enough. Um, skated over to Varley and, uh, Semyon Varlamov and said, uh, Varley, you gotta go in. And Varley shrugged his shoulders, said, okay, went in, stopped all 30 shots he faced, third combined shutout in franchise history. So, all's well that ends well. Um, but I, I, I think the bigger picture there, in, and I mentioned this. You know, when I predicted, I think I think it was where I predicted the Islanders would finish with 102 points. In the, in the Newsday uh, NHL season preview, I predicted the uh, Islanders with 102 points, uh, finishing second in the Metro again. But I did note that a, a, a serious injury to either Thomas Grice or Semyon Varlamov might be the biggest factor that, could sideline a second straight playoff push um, or a playoff berth. And, uh, you know, the Islanders, they have goalies in the system, obviously, but do they have any, they they don't have anyone, I I think, who could really step in at the NHL level and contribute for a a longer spell if one of these two guys gets hurt. Um, You know, Christopher Gibson has been up here. Um, he has shown flashes that he can do the job on a limited basis, but not on a sustained basis. Um, Jared Corot is an AHL goalie. Uh, Jacob Skarek and Linus Soderstrom are, are you know just learning this this game. They're they're too young to be expected to come up and, and contribute in the NHL. So, you know, that, that that is one thing to worry about going ahead. But, uh, you know, like I said, all's well that ends well. And, uh, and, and Greiser was okay. He's expected to start in Montreal. Um, if he does, that would be the 26th straight game to start the season. The Islanders have rotated goalies. Um, 25 in Detroit when Varlamov started was the franchise record. Um, they are not going to get to the NHL record of 76 games that Mike Richter and uh, Beezer um, started alternating. I think that was the 90 season. Um, they, are, <laughs> they are not going to come close to that because Barry Trotz is at the point and he repeated it again in Detroit. He's ready to play one of these two goalies, whichever one shows him that he deserves the net for a few games in a row, consecutive games. Barry is ready to kind of up the competition between these two by starting one or the other for a, a couple of games in a row. Um, So looking ahead, as I mentioned, you know, this is the the on-the-road show. Montreal now, go home for a game. Friday, uh, fly to Dallas. They're in uh, Dallas on Saturday, and that trip continues with the Florida swing to uh, Tampa Bay and then down to uh, Sunrise to face the Panthers. Um, You know, uh, also not an easy trip. Like the California swing, uh, you know, Dallas is in the first wild card spot in the West. They're on a seven two run uh seven two one run as we speak. Uh always uh, kind of an electric team to play against, plays fast, uh they've improved their defense, uh which they needed to do. So uh, going into Dallas is is never a, an easy road to take. Um so, uh, like I said, it, you know, it just doesn't get easier here. And, and it shouldn't for the Islanders. This is a uh, very tough league to uh, be in. And then uh, you go to Tampa. Uh, the, the the Bolts continue to struggle. Um, I think they're 5-4-1 over their last 10. Uh, Islanders beat them 5-2 at the Coliseum on November 1st. Barzell, pula. Josh Bailey, Anders Lee, Derek Broussard all had goals in that game. And that was kind of a, a perfect example of what happens when the Isles, what ha, how, how the Islanders play their best. What happens when they're at their best is that the production is spread out. They're, they're playing as close to a four-line game as possible. They were very good at the four-line game last season when they had Valtteri Filippoula. As a third-line center, still looking to uh, replace him, really. Um, the production is just spread out. And, uh, you know, with Detroit, Beauvillier, who who took a, a really bad uh, hooking penalty, I, I believe it was. Yeah, he took a really bad hooking penalty in the first period in the offensive zone. Makes up, up for it by jumping out of the penalty box, getting sprung beautifully, I, I should add, by Josh Bailey. Uh, for a breakaway backhander for the first goal of the game. So, so Billy Beauvilliers became the 12th different Islander player to score a game-winning goal this season. And, and that's the most for any team in, in the NHL so far. Um, you, you also hit Florida on that trip, uh, you know, the Panthers. And the, uh, the Islanders, it, 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 it's crazy, but uh, that, that'll be it for the three games against the Panthers already on December 12th. Uh, two, uh, two wins up in New York against the Panthers, beat them 2-1 on uh, November 9th, I believe that was, as I, I can't read my uh, handwriting. Uh, Barzell and Mayfield scoring that game, and then also a, uh, uh, let's see where it was, yeah, early in the season, October 12th, they get a 3-2 shootout win. Um, and Lee had a goal in that one, uh, and as did Bailey. So uh, two wins over Joel Quenville's Panthers, who are much improved this season. Uh, Sergei Bobrovsky in net, you know, and Joel Quenville behind the bench, who's, uh, you know, him and Barry Trotz are kind of waltzing into the Hall of Fame hand-in-hand together here in terms of, you know, the longevity and the wins and the number of games they've they've both coached. So, uh You know, always fun to see those two on uh, opposite benches. Uh, And those two obviously, you know, close, gotten to know each other, a lot of respect for each other. Um, You talk about spreading the production out, but, uh, you know, you still need a a go-to guy as a scorer. And uh, Matthew Barzell, uh, with an assist at Detroit, now has 10 goals, 13 assists, 23 points in 25 games to lead the team. Uh, I spoke to him earlier this season about his increased goal production. And if he doesn't get hurt, he really looks like he should surpass his career high of uh, 22 goals that he notched as a rookie. Um, and, and he should get close to 30 this season if he stays healthy and plays you know, as close to 82 games as possible. Um, and When I talked to him earlier this year, he said it was still weird to, to look at the stat sheet and see... You know more goals than assists, or just about the same amount of goals and assists. You know he's always thought of himself as a, uh, a pass-first playmaker, um, and, and that's and he never wants to be anything else. But you know Barry Trotz has really pushed him to take the shot and and to put that into his arsenal. So teams, you know, he's not one-dimensional. Teams, if they know he's going to pass, they're going to defend it that way, and they they can't do that with Matthew Barzell this season. And you just see the maturity in his game. Um, He he did say to me, when I talked to him about it earlier this year, when I mentioned, you know, he could get to 30, he said that would be cool. But as long as his assists were, you know, much greater than that. Uh, After Saturday's game, uh, my good friend, uh, Dennis Gorman, who uh, is a contributor to Newsday amongst the other outlets he's writing for, uh, you know, known Dennis a long time, he asked Barry Trotz a really good question about whether when you evaluate Matthew Barzell, is it solely on the point prediction, or if there's more uh, to it that goes into that, and and here's Barry's response to that.
1: Every, everything in this game, one of the things that when, you're, when you're with Matthew is probably um, when I'm I'm trying to make him the most complete player possible. So there's times when um, there's certain plays that you know that are sort of black and white. I I want those those details followed. Um, When they're not, I give him a little bit of room, you know, to to do things. Uh, He you know he can attack people off the rush and you know he doesn't always have to you know dump it in or anything like that. You know I don't give anybody that. you know that liberty just manage the puck at the right times and manage the score and the time and who you're playing against and all those things and you can do what you do. So sometimes he's hard because you know he can have a great night where um, he can get three or four points and you know and the score sheet is really good. But he's you know your goaltender had to be really good as well. So uh, and there's other nights where he's 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 dialed in and both sides of the puck and you know the the chances are pretty one sided. So. But he's a high-event guy, a lot of times he's high-event uh, for us, and tonight he was, he was good uh, offensively, you know, goal and assist and, and that. And I thought he, was, uh, he only had one or two shifts that I was, I was really concerned, that I, he just sort of lost a
0: little bit of his detail. But other than that, he was pretty solid. One player who has been consistent all season, as we've talked about, is Brock Nelson, and he now has eight goals and 12 assists as I sit here in the hotel room in Montreal. Um, earlier, uh, and the days are melding into one, I forget, I think it was last Tuesday. Uh, I caught up with him in El Segundo, California at the Los Angeles Kings practice facility. And we had a, a really nice chat, um, both about the start to his season and his very interesting and very Olympic family background. So here is Brock Nelson in my chat with him we're here with brock nelson and uh, brock congrats on being the nhl's third star of the week this week just tell me a little bit about you know that was the first time in your career what's it like when you're told
2: yeah thank you it's uh it's pretty cool um kind of just a byproduct of the team success we've had the run that we went on and um, a couple overtime games there and just in a good spot and able to get a couple winners and our line uh did some good things offensively and was able to contribute so um kind of just a byproduct of that but uh definitely uh you know pretty special
0: uh, Barry Trotz's comment was Brock has extended into November and you know going on and but his point was you know when you can do it over the course of nine months that's when you're a really good player do you Do you feel you're at that point in your career where you you do have that consistency?
2: Yeah, I think trying to be and striving for that. Uh, I think that's always the goal. Over 82 games, it's a it's a pretty grueling year, and you're going to go through ups and downs. But if you're able to kind of limit those those low points uh, and kind of ride the waves as long as you can, um, you know, you'll you'll put up some good numbers and be a pretty good player and, and reliable. And Barry's. Instilled confidence in me to kind of go out there and play a uh, two-way game and do things that you know might not always be good on the score sheet, but uh, helping the team win. So. Um just trying to take advantage of the spot that I'm in and uh, contributing anyway.
0: Yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about this in the past. This is what you've wanted in your career to have this kind of huge role on a team. And so it must feel good to, to kind of graduate to this. Yeah,
2: it's it's nice. I mean, everybody goes through different uh, career paths, and obviously, first couple of years wasn't in the same spot. We, we had some pretty good teams and some good guys ahead of me with uh, with Johnny, Franzi, and then when Barzi came in. So, and obviously, Zeker, too is is, is a pretty good center in the middle for us. So. Uh now in, in the role that uh you know our guys are in and the spot that I'm at you just try to take advantage of it. Uh and you want to play for as long as you can and like I said, produce at a high level so um just continue to grow as a player and uh and going out there and making the most of it.
0: As you mentioned, this is obviously a team sport and you know you don't have success in a bubble. So tell me a little bit about what it's been like playing with uh Anthony Beauvillier and getting Der- Derek Brassard who's normally a center on, on your right wing and how that's contributed.
2: Yeah, brass moving to the wing. Uh uh, and then I thought our line did some good things. And even when we haven't uh, maybe scored, I thought we've done some good things. Uh, four checking creating turnovers, getting some chances. Uh, Bow and Brass both you know, can play with a lot of speed, go to the puck. Uh, when they're attacking and playing aggressive, it's easy for me to kind of just feed them the puck, read off them, uh, and create some chances. Like I said, turnovers on the fore-check, which is huge. So kind of just playing fast uh, and free, and uh, lately we've had some success with that.
0: Uh, obviously, uh, from Minnesota, it, it seems like hockey. You're a, you're a hockey lifer. It's been there from day one for you.
2: Yeah, yeah. Ever since I can remember, uh, it's pretty much all we did in the town. War. There wasn't too much going on. There's. Two stoplights and two rinks, so you kind of grew up playing uh, all the time. You took the summers off, but uh, when it was hockey season, the ice was in, you were up there for a couple hours a day.
0: Yeah, I, I saw that you, you, you were the runner-up for Mr. Hockey in Minnesota, and I know what a big deal that is. I mean, that's still something special.
2: Yeah, yeah, that uh, that was pretty cool. That was uh, The state tournament is obviously like the, the mecca of hockey back then, and you always dream of playing at the XL in an NHL rink. And for us, growing up six hours away in a small town, 1,700, that was you know always the goal to get down there. We were able to make it three years in a row. And um, kind of, again, just another uh, individual award that kind of came along with some team success. And uh, we had some good teams. Never never won the title but made some good runs. And uh, Nick Bukestad ended up... Uh, accelerating and taking that one that one away from me but uh, obviously he's a great player as well so a lot of a lot of good talent comes through there
0: Yeah, no, the XL is one of my favorite stops I I just I get lost in the concourses looking at all the uh, high school uniforms and all the uh, you know the displays they have on on Minnesota hockey there so yeah
2: yeah. Yeah, it's still for me it's still fun to go back because I think it's aged pretty well for a rink that I think it was 2001 I think it's still one of the nicer facilities and obviously the fans are passionate there and know the game really well and follow closely so uh, it's easy for a player to kind of go in there and get, get, get amped up.
0: And obviously right behind the arena they have the Herb Brooks statue and obviously his importance to that state is huge. Just, I, I know you have a, a strong connection not only to the 1980 Olympic team but to the, the 60 and the, and the 56, so two gold medal winners there with your family. Can you just go over that.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty special because growing up you you probably didn't realize it at the time. Obviously you're... you're you know, in love with the game of hockey, and you're playing all the time, but you, you didn't realize the importance of uh, the miracle on ice. And then even my grandpa and and great uncle going back to '60 and winning the gold, uh, and now growing up and seeing that. Th- only two teams have been able to pull off, uh, you know, that accomplishment. It's it's pretty special to have that in the family, and uh, they're just, you know, two guys that I looked up to as a kid as role models, not a, not as hockey players, but just as people. So um, it means a lot uh, for the family.
0: Yeah, and that was Davey Christian, obviously, on the 1980 team, and it was your grandpa Bill and uh, your great uncle Roger on this on the 60 team, and then also uh, it was uh, your great uncle Gordon was on the 56 yeah. team.
2: Yeah, Gordon Guinea was on the 56 team, and he was big time. Saw him a lot at the rink uh, at North Dakota. He was you know, a legend around there. He was always at the games. He'd make the drive every weekend to watch. Um, and then obviously my, my grandpa Bill and, and Roger were two of the three that kind of started Christian hockey. So I remember running around the factory after school uh, for hours and just kind of playing with any stick or any blade I could get my hands on and uh, just kind of always involved in the game. Uh, every one of the family members.
0: I know there's some cba deliberations but if you ever got a chance to play for team usa in the olympics you know how special would that be for you
2: yeah i think that'd be that'd be pretty cool uh with the history and the family and obviously winning the gold and um to be able to kind of carry on that uh tradition would be special i know there's no pressure from from family i get a text to my grandpa every day you know wishing me good luck uh, and text me after games when we win and different things like that that Uh, You can definitely feel the love and support already and um, if you're able to kind of make it to that level, that'd be, you know, that'd be pretty awesome for them too.
0: And uh, it should be noted your middle name is Christian, so you kind of wear that, you know, in your heart every day, I assume.
2: Yeah, it's it's cool to have that uh, kind of tied into the name. Some people don't know it, but uh, when they hear that, then they kind of put two and two together with where I'm from and and the family name. So it's cool to have that kind of, you know, not, you know, showing, but also uh, it does mean a lot.
0: Brock, I appreciate a few minutes. All the best. Thank you. And I really hope you enjoyed that chat we just had with Brock Nelson. Uh, A lot of fun talking to Brock about uh, the Olympic stuff and uh, his family's history, stuff we don't get to talk to a lot with him. And, again, his his middle name is Christian, and, uh, you know, he he doesn't really uh, put that out there. Uh, He doesn't really billboard the fact that he he comes from this, uh, you know, kind of royalty in terms of uh, the U.S. hockey program, but uh, it it is a big part of who he is, and he's obviously very close to uh, his family, and it means a lot to him, and it means a lot to him to, uh, you know, to chat about that, so I, I hope you enjoyed that. I didn't get a chance to mention to Brock that this summer, and I don't know why he would really care, but uh, <laughs> this summer, my wife and I spent a couple of days in Lake Placid. And, uh, you know, some of you, you know, got in touch with me after I tweeted out some photos of the Olympic rink, actually the Olympic rinks, because was we were in the 32 rink as well. We saw a figure skating uh, competition going on in the uh, 80 rink. And uh, you really do feel the history. You see the, the names up you know davy christian being one of them um you know a lot of you got in touch with me about you know your experiences in lake placid as well and you know if you do get a chance to go up it's a very friendly town lot to do there in the summer you know you go up into the mountains hiking go up to the ski uh ski jump which is pretty impressive to drive by uh, and again you know the rinks you just feel the history you can see the history they have some really nice photos there so uh really enjoyed going to lake placid obviously i'm i'm the right age to be absolutely you know uh bowled away by this i think i was uh 13 in 1980 and uh you know obviously remember all of that stuff and uh you know had the sports illustrated cover you know on my wall for years afterwards and uh So anyway, good stuff with Brock Nelson, and now, uh, as we do each week, we're going to uh, close out the show with some uh, Q&A via Twitter, and it's called Andrew's Answers.
1: It's time for your questions with
0: Andrew's Answers. And again, guys, thanks so much for uh, getting in touch with me via Twitter. When I put out the call for questions, you guys always... uh, uh, are good about interacting. Uh, so, uh, you know, as Rick says on Rick and Morty, away we go. Um, Tier 1 Media starts us off, and uh, thanks for being a regular contributor there. Uh says, Hi Andrew, what are you hearing about Otto? That's Otto Koivula, Dobson, Noah Dobson, Ross Johnson... Feedback from teams, plans, expectations, etc. Any truth to rumors? You, being me, signed a lease at Belmont to open up Island Ice Ice Cream and Italian Ice Shop. <laughs> Can we please get Isles' top prospect report soon? You know what, Tier 1 Media, that that is a, a, a good idea uh, regarding the Isles' top prospects. Uh, you know, maybe we'll... Uh, uh, devote a, a future show to doing something on that. Thank you for the idea. What am I hearing about Otto, Dobson, and Johnson? Uh, as I've been saying, uh, with Otto and Dobson, uh, these are two guys uh, for right now that that seem to be, you know, they'll they'll be spotted into the lineup, probably more so Dobson uh, at this point since there is a, a You know, a solid top six amongst the defensemen. And, you know, for now it may take an instance like we saw the other week where uh, Nick Letty couldn't go. And uh, Noah got a chance to play one game and then Letty comes back. Um, Otto in and out, you know, they're trying him as the third line centers. They, They desperately try and figure out that piece to the jigsaw puzzle. He's been okay. Not a lot of scoring going on or not a lot of you know, scoring chances uh, so far. Um, they had them, you know, with Leo Komarov and, uh, you know, uh, I think Jordan Everly was on that line as well, uh, if my memory serves. Last uh, last game as I record this on Monday morning before uh, they play the, uh, the Red Wings in Detroit tonight. Yeah, I mean, and we'll address the, the third line center a little bit more here in the coming minutes. Otto's getting his shot, and he's probably, you know, around because they, they they really are desperately trying to figure this third line center out. And he does have a big body, and he does certainly have some upside, and they're trying to let him grow into the role here. As far as Ross Johnson, um, you know, they've tried getting him in and out of the lineup. Uh, he understands that he's not going to be an 82 game a year Player at this point, and uh, honestly, when uh, you know Manny Martin's in the lineup with that line with Casey Sizikas and Cal Clutterbuck, that often precludes Ross Johnson from getting in. So, uh, that's where you are with those three players right now. Um, you know, things change, but uh, as of right now, you know, Noah is kind of the seventh defenseman, Otto is the latest candidate to get a shot there at uh, third line center and he's got to make the most of it and Ross Johnson is kind of filling the role he's filled here for a couple of seasons where he's uh, uh, he's more than a utility part or maybe you you do call him a utility part you know kind of break glass when needed when you need a little you know grit in the lineup and uh, sometimes when Matt Martin is not available. In trots We Trust uh, another loyal uh, Questioner says, I noticed the coach of the Isles ECHL affiliate was fired, and this is, uh, true, uh, about a week ago, Worcester, uh, relieved Jamie Russell, uh, of duties as general manager and head coaching and named David Kunath as the club's new general manager and head coach, uh, Derek Army was also fired as an assistant coach. Kunif was serving uh let's see, where was he? He was with the Hartford Wolfpack earlier this season, um as an assistant coach. And he also, you know, was with the Iowa Wild for four seasons. He's he's a kind of a veteran coach in the minor leagues and uh Obviously uh Lou Lamarillo was not happy with the development down there and saw a reason to change and, and felt that Kunif would be a a boost to the organization, uh you know, maybe a better voice for the, the development of those players, but that's not in Trotzwe Trust's question. He said I noticed the coach of the Isles ECHL affiliate was fired and replaced this past week. Why hasn't a move been made? To relieve Brent Thompson of his duties in Bridgeport in the AHL, he has had two stints in, as coach and hasn't won any playoff rounds. Thank you. I, I think the simple answer, um, and there, there we had audio of Lou Lamarillo. I had asked him about the balance between winning and losing and development. You know, at the AHL level, and uh, uh, Lou gave his answers there. You know, it's always about development first, and quite frankly, I, I think there's a comfort factor between Lou and Chris Lamarillo, who's really, you know, hands-on on on a day-to-day basis. Chris Lamarillo is in Bridgeport. There's a a comfort factor between uh, the management and the coaching staff, and and they do believe the development needs are being served by this coaching staff as of right now. Um, And Lou was quick to point out that both You know, the Islanders had depleted the Bridgeport roster and also that the Bridgeport was going through some injuries as a way of kind of deflecting from Bridgeport's early season record. And I think they've won four in a row now coming through the uh, weekend. So uh, I don't see Brent Thompson, you know, I I don't think this is an entire organizational shakeup uh, based on what happened at Worcester. Uh, Like I said, you know, everything is season to season, and they lose Had two off-seasons to replace Brent Thompson, and obviously uh, Brent Thompson has him and Chris Lamarillo's trust at this point. Clarence Screaming Buffalo Swamptown, asks, will Josh Bailey ever be a healthy scratch considering he's just so inconsistent? And, you know, I mean, there's a chance anyone is a healthy scratch. Uh, You know, Barry's certainly got enough cash and, you know, and I always pronounce that cache, and I'm told that's incorrect, but C-A-C-H-E, and Barry Trotz has got enough cash and respect uh, for what he's done that he can sit a veteran like Josh Bailey, but you know what? Barry Trotz sees things in, in Josh Bailey's game that makes him want Josh in the lineup every day, and it's not always the production Um, I know there's some, you know, some bad passes and sometimes some inconsistencies in the offensive zone. Um, But, you know, Barry relies on Josh, as he says, as a Swiss Army knife. You can kind of plug him in anywhere in the lineup at any time. And uh, Barry really does like that uh, uh, that versatility. So I, I don't see, you know, Josh being in danger of being a healthy scratch at this point um n v um says andrew with barry's goalie rotation being so consistent, is there any chance it backfires because it potentially desensitize uh vises uh basically uh, uh to vises and God you know if you ever send in a word like that again you're You know, no no question being asked. There's strong performance from the goaltender. No opportunity to showcase for a string of starts if they consistently alternate, question mark, thanks. Uh, And Envy, I think you're going to see this goalie rotation end uh, pretty soon. Uh, Barry's talked, and he's talked consistently about taking it through Thanksgiving, maybe the first week of December here, and then, you know, schedule gets a little bit heavier. um, And he wants to see a goalie like you say, get in, you know, for two, three, four starts to uh, kind of foster competition between them. So Barry is aware of that I, I believe I wrote about it in Sunday's Newsday, um, and, and you saw uh, Varlamov had to come in for Grice in, in the last game on uh, what was that Saturday, I believe. I'm losing track of days here, but uh, against the Blue Jackets, the two nothing win. Grice makes nine saves, comes out, played 1406, I believe. And he comes out, wasn't feeling well. Varlamov makes 30 saves. They have a the third combined shutout in Islanders franchise history. But yeah, I, I think you're going to see one goalie get a, a, a two three starts in a row here pretty soon. And like you said, with that word I can't pronounce it's it's because Barry wants to you know kind of push the competition between the two to make both of them better. Uh, let's see. David Alderson asks, what currently playing former Islander would be a good fit and you'd like to see back? I think given <laughs> what we've seen out of the third line center this season, you would probably say Valtteri, uh Philpula uh, would be a good fit back and we'll see him tonight in Detroit. Um, of course, if if they had kept Val, you, you might not have brought in Derek Broussard and the whole issue is you bring in Derek Broussard as Val's replacement but you find out Derek Broussard is much more valuable, valuable to you as a wing and often as a top six wing. So uh, that that's where this conundrum has uh, started is to uh, you basically can't find you know that, that fourth center after Matt Barzell, Brock Nelson and Casey Sezikis. They've been Searching all season for that. Um, You know, (laughs) Franz Nielsen would also be a good fit, except Franzi is having a really tough season with the Red Wings right now. Uh, Franz is 35. Uh, As you go into Monday night's game in Detroit, he's got one assist in 25 games, and he's a minus seven. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, you know, whether that's a, a long-term prognosis for Franz's game but he was you know a fan favorite islander that is still kind of beloved in the organization i mean you know you talk about franz and 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 fopola but you know the the obvious answer there and with at the risk of just you know infuriating the islander fan base here look i, I know there are a lot of emotions here um, but you take the emotions out of it and, and who wouldn't want John Tavares still in this lineup, just as a player, you know, I'm um, just saying as I duck, as things are being thrown at me, I I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> they need a center and John Tavares is a heck of a center. He's a heck of a player. I, I know he's, you know, angered the Islander fan base forever. You take the emotions out this 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 you know this team would be better if John Tavares would be in the lineup right now. So uh, let's see, Jay Mersh uh, says, now with a quarter of the season in the past, is there any kind of buzz within the organization of adding any firepower to the team after a tired-looking West Coast trip, there is an obvious need in the middle of the third line? And and yes, uh, Jay Mersh. And, uh, and whenever I see Jay Mersh his name pop up on, on Twitter, I, I just immediately think of Jay Masix of uh, Dinosaur Jr. Um, had a chance to see them uh, down at Coney Island a couple of summers ago. Still a, a fun band uh, digressing. Um, and I, I do like the uh, the fisherman logo you got on your Twitter avatar there, Jay. Um, uh, so the question was, now with the quarter of the season in the past, is there any kind of buzz with the Orioles? organization of adding any firepower to the team. Tired looking West Coast trip, there's an obvious need for in the middle for of the third line. And yeah, you you definitely uh, there's no buzz, as you would call it, um, because that's not how Lou operates. Uh, uh, You know, unfortunately, with Lou, you know, from a media standpoint, standpoint, most of the time you find out after the fact, that something has happened, and obviously our job is to find out before the fact, but uh, Lou keeps everything close to the vest. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do, looking forward, this is a need that probably will be need to be addressed going outside the organization at some point this season, whether it's right now in December, um, could be. Um trade market will obviously heat up as we get closer to later in February, but I, I do think this at some point is going to be something that Lou addresses um, because, you know, I, I think Lou sees what we see, which is a team that has a real chance of making some noise in the playoffs here. And when you have a, a hole like that and you have Barry Trotz talking about needing to be you know that four-line mentality. Then you know that's that's the 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 issue right now, and it does need to be addressed. And uh, that's following up with uh, Semyon Popkornov asking thoughts on the third-line carousel. Broussard is definitely a better winger than center, and the rest of the guys who have played uh, third-line center or third center haven't stuck. How do you think Lou fills the spot? And that uh, just goes back to the last question. Uh, I, I I agree. I think. You know, at some point maybe Broussard goes back, um, and they they gave it they give it one last go with Brass in the middle here. But uh, eventually, I do think they go outside or try and go outside the organization to fill that. Chris Dennehy asks, Trotz's post-game press conferences are must-see TV. His answers to reporters and is it just you being me, Arthur Staple and and No, 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 no. Corey Wright from uh, the Islanders Media is there. Uh, Brian Compton from NHL.com is always in there. Uh, You know, Fooch from MSG Networks is in there um there are a bunch of people in there asking questions it is not just me and me and art uh doing all the work there um uh how how does trotz's interactions relationships with the press compare contrast with other coaches you've covered over the years and it's interesting I've, i've gotten to cover a bunch of different NHL coaches now, you know, starting way, way back when I first got on the Rangers beat, Brian Trottier was the, uh, was the coach and, uh, you know, just never, he was never comfortable in that role. (laughs) And I only got three weeks of covering him in that, but it was a very awkward relationship, I thought, with the media, with, with Trottier and you know, it just didn't work in that situation. Uh, you know, covered Glenn Sather as a coach. and Glenn is, uh, you know, Glenn is a uh, public persona, but he is a very loyal, friendly, nice human being. I always enjoyed being around Glenn Sather, honestly. Um, you know, if he considered you a friend, he would do anything for you. Um, one of those types of human beings, and uh, and to a certain extent, uh, actually, I shouldn't say to a certain extent. Lou Lamarillo, he, with a different public persona, he's not as you know. Lou is not throwing the jokes around and uh, playing pranks like uh, Glenn Sather likes doing. But uh, Lou Lamarillo is also one of these you know heart of gold, you know will do anything for a friend, former player type of guy. Um, honestly. Um, but that, that was not the question. The question was about coaches. You know, I, I go through the years. Uh, Tom Rennie with the Rangers had a really good relationship with him. And you know, got to know him really well as a person and a lot of respect for Tom Rennie and he always went out of his way to help the media when he could, you know, very forthright with his answers. At one point, Tom Rennie was doing three press conferences a day, which was crazy because the Rangers would do their morning skate up at their, uh, you know, Westchester facility in uh, Greenberg uh, slash Tarrytown and Tom would talk after the morning skate and then, he would talk at the Garden before the game for those who didn't come to the morning skate, and then he would talk after the game. And that was that was well beyond what was expected of Tom Rennie. Um, you know, obviously spent four and a half seasons covering John Tortorella. That was a very rocky ride at some times because the media grinds on uh, torts and, you know, just annoys him. But I will say I, I caught up with John when the Blue Jackets were were in town on Saturday. It just, you know, when you when you're not covering him, John Tur- Tortorello is one of the realest people you, you can find. Great conversation with him just about life, his family and stuff he doesn't want to make public, so I won't. But uh you know, I, I've come to really uh like being around John Tortorella and that's because probably I'm not covering him <laughs> at this point. Elaine um, Vigneault with the Rangers, you know, he really keeps the media at, a, at an arm's length. You don't get to know him as a person. He's, he's not confrontational. He doesn't make it difficult on you in terms of anything, in terms of his job, um, but he just does not want you to know him as a person at all. Um and, and that's fine. Some people are like that. Um covered John Hines with the Devils and uh you know a lot of respect from him. I, I know the, the the Devils are struggling right now and I, I you know probably he's on the hot seat. Not probably. I, I I know he's on the hot seat, even though Ray Shiro just, you know, uh thinks, you know, John is the perfect fit for that franchise. Um uh John, again, another guy who would help you out by explaining things, taking you aside, trying to explain what he did, you know, not in a on-the-record type of manner. And also a guy you got to know as a a person, you know, you could talk about, you know, him and his kids and just what life was like, you know, because we all, you know, Shannon Hogan mentioned when she was on uh, Island Ice, you know. We we all, you know, for all the time we put into this, there's, you know, a little bit of collateral damage, you know, leaving your family at home, um, kids, wives, and, you know, sometimes it's good to talk about that stuff with other people who are going through it. And, and I thought Heinze was, was really uh, sympathetic to a lot of the stuff that was going on. And, uh, you know, Dougie Wade, I didn't really get to cover for more than a month, Before he was let go, didn't really get to know him uh, much, but he seemed, you know, back from his playing days, obviously a fun-loving guy, you know, who really knows hockey and probably got a, you know, tough deal with the Islanders. Just, you know, in my opinion, never really having the foundation to to learn how to be a really solid head coach in the NHL because I, I do think that was in him under the right circumstances. And, and that brings us back to Barry, who, you know, has just got this figured out. He's, I, I don't know if I've ever met anyone just as comfortable being himself as Barry Trotz. And I think that's what the players see. Barry just has this tremendous confidence in what he's selling to the players. It's not even a, sell job he just flat out tells the players if you do this we will be successful and it happened quickly and the players saw that and uh you know barry's interactions with the media you know i i know he considers some members of the media's true friends you know guys that have been around him and and, and women who have been around him for for a long time he cares about what's going on in their lives and uh You know, uh, Barry's just a real human being. He's, he's, (laughs) I I, I could go on for a whole podcast saying nice things about Barry Trotz, but he gets what the media's doing. I I really haven't seen, you know, we're into our second season now, I really haven't seen him be overly annoyed, even at some questions that he might have a a right to be annoyed at. And uh, he's just very even keel. You know, he knows there's another day, and he knows there's a chance to be better tomorrow. You know, if if need be. Daniel Wendelkin asks, Would you be able to explain why Dobson isn't eligible for the AHL? I am uh, pro getting pra- uh, and that's in quotes, I am pro, quote, getting practice in an occasional game, unquote, with the big club, but I'm not certain on why he can't play in the AHL. Age, question mark. Something in his ELC? No, it's 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 an age issue because he's a Canadian junior player at 19. It's just not eligible. It's a it's an agreement, as uh, the Freds points out, um, specifically between the NHL and the Canadian juniors, and that's why uh, Bodie Wild, who is also 19, but is not you know Canadian junior player, that's why he can be at Bridgeport or a Simon Hol- Holmstrom, you know, who gets drafted at 18 is able to play in Bridgeport. And it's a loophole that uh, that Lou Lamarillo believes will be closed in the next CBA, meaning that, you know, in the future, a guy like Noah Dobson would be eligible for the AHL, but not under this collective bargaining agreement. Uh, Domenico JJ says, with the Devils reportedly listening to offers on Taylor Hall, how do you, do you think Lou makes a move for him? I, I really don't. I, I know... You know, Taylor would be that kind of scoring wing that, you know, every Islander fan is is hoping for here. But I, I just don't... First of all, I don't see the Islanders and Devils, uh, and specifically probably Ray and Lou, um, given what happened with the Devils, I don't see them uh, getting together on a trade uh, Lou said all the right things when Ray was hired about you know wanting to step up and just be president and relinquish his GM duties. But you know anyone who knows Lou knows that he wants to be fully in charge. Um, and, and you saw shortly after relinquishing GM duties to Ray Shiro uh Lou completely relinquished his role in the in the Devils organization and became the general manager in Toronto where he could be a little bit more hands on and now of course you know after 3 seasons in Toronto he has resumed 100% the role he was most comfortable with all those years with the Devils where he has absolute say over everything in the organization and that's just how Lou operates that's who he is as a as a person and You know, so I I, I don't see Lou and Ray necessarily working out a trade there. I don't think Taylor Hall, you know, he's going to cost a heck of a lot as a rental. I think this is a guy that wants to test the free agent market. I think if he wanted, you know, 100% to be in this area, you know, maybe a deal would be worked out already with New Jersey. There are a lot of red flags here why I would not give up a lot of prospects and draft picks to get, taylor hall and i think lou is going to probably not make a uh, you know i'm sure he'll kick the tires here i mean that that would be uh prudent but i i don't see a match there and uh we'll finish up with scott who says besides wallstrom and the islanders Uh, probably not wanting to kill a year off his entry-level contract. And I'm not so sure about that. I I don't think that Lou is, you know, worried about the burning the year off the entry-level contract, which Wallstrom would do with another game played with the Islanders. I think Lou will do whatever makes his team better, you know, in that particular moment. And if that means burning the year on the ELC... If Lou knows that it's going to make the Islanders a better team, I, I think he would do that quickly. Um, who is another winger you could see get a call-up if injuries occur again? I, I, I still think Arno Durando is the Islanders' best forward prospect. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I too was impressed both talking with him and watching him play. Uh, Durando's got you know, a bit of speed there. He plays, you know, I, I think he could play an NHL game. With, with that kind of speed, and I think he's got a scorer's mentality. I uh, do like him, um, and, you know, he's got, what, five goals and assist in 13 games for Bridgeport. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the Islanders are, are looking to see uh, whether Andrew Ladd's knees will hold up and whether he is a viable option. Uh, if Andrew can prove that his knees are sound, then I, I do think he'll get a call up, but I, I think it's questionable uh, as of right now whether that happens. I, I know he's 29, uh, but Matt Lurito, um is, is leading Bridgeport with six goals, six assists. Do they finally really give him an, an NHL chance? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not, you know, 100%. Uh, familiar with Matt Lurito's game, uh, just seen him, you know, kind of through preseason, so I can't give you a real great scouting report on him. Um, uh, and again, he's 29, so you bring him up as an experienced guy. Uh, not the same, but, you know, sort of the same as uh, when Cole Bardreau came up at 26, even though he was a rookie. Um, you know, going through their their... You you talk about... And you ask specifically about wings. You know, does Tanner Fritz get a a shot on a wing? They've been playing him mostly at center. He's been hurt in and out of the lineup. Only been able to play four games. Does not have a point yet. So, uh, you know, perhaps Durando does get a shot here. Um, I think they might be a little hesitant to bring up Simon Holmstrom this season. Um, Maybe later in the year. He's got three and two through 20 games um and again i know everyone is waiting for Kiefer bellows to kind of blossom into the player everyone wants to see him become he's got three goals three assists in uh in 22 games he might be someone who gets a shot down the line if he you know if he shows some development down there or some more development but uh you know, right now Matt Larito's at the top of the uh scoring chart for Bridgeport. He's not your classic prospect, so I don't know if that's necessarily the answer you're you're looking for there. Um but I, I, I don't mind Durando and and I think at some point, I don't know whether it's this season he, he, he'll make a push to uh to make the roster. Um but that's it for the questions. Thanks again, as I say every week for submitting it, and thank you again. So much for tuning in to Island Dice. Uh, you can find me, Andrew Gross, on Twitter at agrossnewsday. If you like hearing what I have to say, you can find uh, all the Islanders' uh, archives on uh, the newsday.com uh, slash sports website. Find uh, all the back issues of Island Dice, the back episodes of Island Dice on the Newsday website. You can find us on SoundCloud Island Dice is available on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, Spotify. Uh, if I'm forgetting anything, uh, forgive me. But uh, please subscribe, rate, review, leave a comment. Uh, any comment you know, will be taken into consideration. Uh, as I say, we're trying to make this the best Islanders podcast possible. And uh, thank you so much. And happy hockey, everyone.